Thank you for listening to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. This is Real Sports Talk for the Real Sports Fan. And I definitely appreciate our Real Sports fans who are listening right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do me a huge favor and leave this podcast a five-star rating. That one, two, three, four, five. That five-star rating review will definitely be appreciated. If you're listening on any other platform, that could be Podomatic, iHeartRadio, wherever, please share from that platform so that your friends and fans, friends, fans, and family can see the podcast. They can listen to the podcast. They can love the podcast. Subscribe and then share with their friends and family. I'm trying to get this podcast to the highest levels of podcastivity, and I need your help to get there. It'll be truly, truly appreciated. Do apologize for the delay in content on the podcast. Been dropping a lot of content on social media, trying to build up the fan base. And now the podcast is going to come on a more consistent basis each and every week. So go ahead and tune in and tell your friends to subscribe so you don't miss out on the content as well. Episodes just me and you. Just me and you. Just me and you. Ooh, you hear the high notes. You hear it. So it's just me on you on this episode, and on this episode, we're going to talk about, of course, the Super Bowl. We're not doing a full Super Bowl recap. If you are a sports fan, you've heard every Super Bowl recap in the world. So I'm going to do a mini recap and also talk about the big picture things with Patrick Mahomes, the 49ers, the Chiefs. Uh, we're going to talk a little basketball. We had the trade deadline last week, talk about that a little bit, and just a picture of the NBA going into the post-All-Star break after this weekend. Uh, also talk about boxing. We had a big-time boxing match between Teofimo Lopez and Jermaine Ortiz, uh, which some people may disagree when I say it's a big-time boxing match because of what happened during the actual match, but we'll talk about that a little later on. So, of course, let's start with the Super Bowl. So, on Sunday, we had the Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers 25-22 to in overtime in a thriller. Now, the first half was not that. The first half was kind of slow. I could see how people could have found it boring in the first half. It was really a chess match in the first half. Uh, San Francisco seemed like they were outplaying Kansas City in that first half, but they were not able to put any distance between them and the Chiefs. And that's what you have to do against the Chiefs. You have to put some distance between yourself and them because you know they have Patrick Mahomes. And if there's any chance that Patrick Mahomes can lead his team to victory, he's going to lead his team to victory. That's what we've seen so far during his career. Very seldomly has he come up short. Now, the team may come up short, but very seldomly has he, he himself come up short. Right? You think about the Bengals game a few years back in the AFC Championship game where he played bad in the second half. Off the top of my head, it's very, like, very, very few and far between times where you can say Patrick Mahomes was the one who didn't show up. And that's what makes them so great. But yeah, so the first half, 49ers, I felt like, outplayed the Chiefs. But the game was still close. Halftime show, you know, a super long Super Bowl halftime between the little halftime analysis and Usher's performance. I thought Usher's performance was good. I thought that some people are saying it's top five all time. That's tough because you got to put the two Beyonce performances in the top five. You gotta put Prince in the top five. You gotta put Michael Jackson in the top five. And there's probably another one that I'm missing, but Usher is probably right there at five or right after that. But I definitely enjoyed it. 
thought it was really good. Uh, Alicia Keys, she missed that first note, but she was fine after that. You know, I feel like it was like when you get in a basketball game, right? You go play pickup ball, and sometimes this happens where you're the 10th person. You walk in, and they're just waiting for one more person to start. They're like, oh, the 10th person's here. You got to jump in right away and play. You'll get a chance to warm up. And those first couple shots be off. I feel like that was what happened with Alicia Keys. She didn't get a chance to warm up. She didn't get a chance to drink her honey tea. And that first note was off. You know, it happens to the best of us. But after that, she got into it. And uh, I saw a lot of people talking about how her and Usher interacted during that performance. Now, I get that they're performing a song called My Boo, where it's supposed to be about a romantic relationship. So they're going to be somewhat sensual in their performance. But not going to lie to you. Some people may sound insecure, but if I was Swiss Beats, who was Alicia Keys' husband, I would have an issue with it. Because Usher back there, when I say back there, I mean behind Alicia Keys, uh, doing his hands in a silhouette of what a behind looks like, right? Which she was looking really good. I even joked that my favorite color is now red because of Alicia Keys and what she was wearing. She was looking fantastic. But... It's the difference between me making that joke and me grinding on it from the back. That's what Usher did, right? So it's a difference between having the performance and you performing a song where it's romantic and then take that next step of hugging this person from behind when you're doing the performance or when you're done that part of the performance. That's where it crossed the line for me. Because as a man, as a husband, that's our move. The hug from the back is the husband move. Now, if you're like, what do you mean? It's our way of asking for something without being annoying. So you don't want to be the husband or the spouse who's like, can we have sex, baby? You ready to have sex, baby? You don't want to be annoying with it. So one way you can do it is the hug from the back. If you know you got body, body parts that have kind of risen up a little bit because you saw your wife walking around in something that looks nice or just in a t-shirt, it don't take much for us to get aroused. And you go and give her that hug from the back. It's your way of letting her know you're ready to go. Because she can feel what you, you know, that you've risen up. And also, she can let you know at that point if she's down. Without being annoying about it. That's our move. So when Usher does that same move to another man's wife. Now, we have no idea if Usher was, you know, rising up in that moment or not. But he's still doing the, can I get some move without asking to get some. And that's a husband's move. That's a boyfriend's move. That's a spouse move. And that's, I was like, okay, Usher, you're going a little too far away. But Usher has been known to do too much, right? It's something that you just take the good with the bad with Usher. Like, okay, Usher's amazing, makes amazing music, has a bunch of hits, which we saw throughout the performance. And sometimes when he performs, he does a little too much. It's like, all right, we'll take that. No one's perfect. But if I was Swiss Beats, I wouldn't have that same reaction. Now, when it comes to the rest of the performance, I thought it was good. Uh, Jermaine Dupri. Jermaine Dupri came out there and uh, looks like <laughs> he was wearing like um, a suit that wasn't a suit with shorts. He had on socks that was like those socks little girls wear to go to church. With the shoes, the shoes look like little pilgrim shoes. Like, he truly looked like a Batman villain. There's a hundred million people watching more. Then a hundred million people watching, and Jermaine Dupri decided to come out there dressed like a Gotham City villain. I don't know why. I don't know what happens when you get that type of money. 
where you're just like, I'm just going to do whatever I want to. But why would you want to do that? Like, why is that the move? I don't know. <laughs> but overall, that was a good performance. I would give it on a grade scale. I wouldn't give it an A. I'll say it's like a B plus. I thought it was really good. And it's hard to have an A plus performance when you only have 15 minutes or 13 minutes to do it in. But he definitely did a good job of fitting a lot into that little bit of time. So you got to give him credit for that. And he is a great performer. You can't take that away from Usher. So second half. I said I was going to do a short recap. It's already 10 minutes in. I lied. My fault. So the second half starts. And Kansas City's behind. And you're thinking, okay, this is when KC is going to take advantage. They get the ball first. They've had time, all the time in the world to think of adjustments. And they come out there and throw an interception on the first possession. You're like, oh, wow. <laughs> this is, okay, this is San Francisco's chance to truly pull away. And again, they didn't do it. First three drives of the second half, they go three and out. They're not running the ball. That was a lot of 49ers fans' complaints on Twitter is that why are we not running the ball? Now, you have to give KC's defense a lot of credit because they made adjustments to make it harder for them to run the ball. And they made it very hard for Brock Purdy to know when and where the blitz is coming from. You got to give Spags, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, all credit in the world for that. Now, the key play of the game to me, I understand this game had a lot of ebbs and flows in the second half, but the key play to me was the muff punt in the third quarter. Because at that point, KC could not generate any offense. It could not generate any offense at all, right? And they finally get a short field, and they score right away. First play on that short drive, he hits MVS Marquez Valdez Scantling for the touchdown. And I feel like the game shifted from there. Now, San Francisco had other chances to try to separate themselves and never could. And that's what leads to what goes on the rest of the game. Now, there's been a lot of talk about what happened in overtime. So, the playoffs, overtime is different than the regular season. In the playoffs... And overtime, you're guaranteed for each team to get at least one possession, no matter what happens in that first possession. So during the regular season, if you score a touchdown in the first possession, you win, it's over. During the playoffs, you score a touchdown, the other team gets a chance to match or even get more points by going for two to win the game, but that first touchdown does not end the game. So San Francisco wins the toss, and they decide to receive. A lot of people are saying that was the wrong decision. Some people are even questioning if Kyle Shanahan and San Francisco understood the rules because they didn't choose the ball second, right? And without choosing the ball second, that means that whatever you do first, the other team gets a chance to match it or go beyond that. San Francisco has a nice drive, but it stalls out. They have to kick the field goal. Which means you put your defense in a position now to have to try to hold KC to a field goal. They're already tired. It's overtime. They've been on the field way too long because of all those three and outs that I mentioned earlier. And you got that guy, Patch Mahomes, which I mentioned earlier. If you're not going to put Patch Mahomes away, he's going to come back and win the game because he's the GOAT. And that's what he did. Overtime, they drove right down the field. Uh, they ran the play corn dog where they do the half motion and it fools the defense because you can't see exactly what a wide receiver is. And then they call hut right at that moment. You lose the wide receiver. Easy touchdown throw from Patrick Mahomes to McCole Hartman. So with that in mind, 
San Francisco probably should have took the ball second because if KC scores a touchdown first, they know now we have to score a touchdown and we can go for two for the win if we really want to be bold about it. The thing is, against Kansas City, you got to do that because if you score that second touchdown and you only kick the extra point, now KC only has to kick the field goal to win. Now, when it comes to overtime rule, I think they should just switch it to that for the regular season as well. Why well, have different overtime rules for the regular season and playoffs? Just switch it all around and make overtime like that just throughout. Because now the rules shouldn't change. It's football's football. The rules shouldn't change from regular season to playoffs. The only thing that should change, and this should change, period, there shouldn't be any ties. So just make the overtime rule where each team gets a chance and then it's sudden death after that first possession by each team. But get rid of ties because that's why do we still have that? Why do we still have ties in a professional football league? Like, no, these dudes get paid millions of dollars, though. This ain't rec league, this ain't little league where it's cool if everybody feels like a winner. No, there shouldn't be any ties. You should have a winner and a loser. Period. Period. The same sport where judging's involved, where there could be a draw because you only can fight so many rounds. Like, no, have a winner. So the new overtime rule should be what the playoff overtime rule is throughout. Throughout. Now, since I went ahead and broke my promise of not doing a full recap of the game, I can get back to regularly scheduled programming after this music break. We're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes. And if Patrick Mahomes is indeed the GOAT already at 28 years old, it's crazy that that conversation is even in play. But it is, and we'll talk about it after the break. Personal death, put one up in the sky. 
To the real deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully, you enjoyed that music break. So now let's talk more football. After I promised, I was only going to do a short Super Bowl recap. <laughs> so I apologize for breaking my promise. But hopefully, you enjoyed the first segment of the show. So now let's get into Patrick Mahomes. So Patrick Mahomes is now a three-time Super Bowl champion. He has made four appearances in the Super Bowl in his first five years as a starter. This is unbelievable, right? Now, of course, you have to give credit to, you know, the team. You have to give credit to the roster building, even though some people can criticize the roster building right now because you can say, oh, they don't have the weapons on the outside. That's one of the reasons the offense struggled during the season. One of the reasons that a lot of people lost faith in this team is because of that. But you have to look at that defense. That defense was amazing. That defense is if not the main reason, the second main reason that they won the Super Bowl. When you look at the special teams, I've mentioned the muff punt. I even mentioned the blocked extra point. Like those two plays were very big in that game. So you have to give credit to the whole team, right? Now, when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, he's amazing. Amazing. And when you talk about somebody being a GOAT, the first thing you're looking at is the eye test. Do they pop off the screen? And with Patrick Mahomes, he definitely pops off the screen. He makes amazing plays on the run. He may be, <laughs> he may jump and be parallel to the ground and still throw it 30 yards on the field. Like he has the ability to do things that make you drop your jaw because it's so amazing, right? And he has that ability right up there with Josh Allen with prime Aaron Rodgers, with prime Brett Favre, prime John Elway. It's in a different way, but it's still on the same scale as Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson, where they have those plays that, just as a football fan, you're like, wow. Or sometimes you just laugh out loud. Like, he does plays that just make you laugh because it's so crazy that he's able to do this. 
or even thought to do that. It's like, what? You just laugh out of amazement. So when it comes to the eye test, he's definitely right there when it comes to just playing the position, not only from a strategic standpoint of being the best, but from an entertainment standpoint of being the best. From a game, a game plan standpoint, he's right there with Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, all the greats when it comes to breaking down defenses and knowing exactly where to go, where to throw it, how to use his wide receivers best. He's right there with all those guys from strategy and entertainment, right? So next, stats-wise, he's already had two seasons that you look at and you go, oh, wow, these are two of the best seasons from a stats perspective that we've ever seen. In 2018, it was still 16 games back then. He threw for 5,017 yards, 50 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, completed 66% of his passes. In 2022, he threw for 5,250 yards, 41 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, completed 67% of his passes, right? That's right up there with some of the best seasons of all time. Of course, when you think about some of these crazy seasons, you got to talk about Peyton Manning, 2013. That year is still probably the best just flat-out QB season of all time. 5,477 yards. This is in 16 games. 5,477 yards, 55 touchdowns. Only 10 interceptions, completed 68% of his passes. Crazy, crazy. Tom Brady's had a couple of those years as well. 2007, 4,806 yards, 50 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. Completed damn near 69% of his passes. In 2021, threw for 5,316 yards, 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, completed 67% of his passes. So when it comes to historic stats, he has that as well. And I talked about it earlier. He has the inevitability of all great players. Same thing Tom Brady had. When Tom Brady was behind, you're like, oh man, when is it gonna happen? We know eventually he's gonna come back. Even when he was down 28 to three in the Super Bowl, it's like, oh, we still gotta stay around. We still gotta watch. And he end up coming back, right? But what separates Mahomes from Brady and Mahomes from Manning is that extra gear of mobility. Tom Brady was great moving around the pocket, right? He had amazing pocket awareness. Part of the reason he was around for so long is that pocket awareness, right? Peyton Manning also had good pocket awareness, couldn't move at all. <laughs> like, once he got past, like, season five, the mobility was done for Peyton Manning. Very seldomly did you see him take off. Mahomes has the ability. You saw it in the Super Bowl where, okay, my wide receivers can't get open. They play man-to-man. -man. I can get you 60-plus yards just from running the ball, from scrambling. That's something Tom and Peyton Manning didn't have. Aaron Rodgers had that during his prime. But Aaron Rodgers, come playoff time, didn't always come through. In the same way that Patrick Mahomes has shown he can come through. And some of those Packers teams were just as talented as this current Chiefs team. This Chiefs team has 
Travis Kelsey, one of the greatest titles of all time. But outside of that, weapons-wise, it's lacking. Now, of course, you can't you know forget that defense. So the fact that Patrick Mahomes has the ability like Tom Brady to put up these amazing stats, just like Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, who have put up these crazy seasons, but he's also shown the ability, like this year he didn't have a crazy stat season this year. That's the reason he didn't win MVP, because he didn't have the crazy stat season. But he showed the ability to adjust throughout the year, and like, okay, this is the wide receiver group that I have, I'm going to make it work. Come playoff time, he knew, okay, I can make it work. I can hit McCole Hartman down the field for a long pass between two people in this moment. For MVS, okay, MVS, I can't throw the ball ahead of you. You like to catch the ball when it's slowed down and in front of you where you have to stop to catch it. All right, I'll make that adjustment. The fact that he can make that adjustment and still win with subpar talent from the wide receiver position it's just amazing. It's just amazing. So when you look at the fact that he has the eye test where he makes those plays that make you just drop your jaw. He has the stats. Come playoff time, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, he's in that same realm with those guys when it comes to, okay, clutch moment. We need our quarterback to come through for us, and he's going to do it. So the team success, the eye test, the clutch factor, he has all those things. Now the last thing that he has to build on is longevity. That's the only thing Tom Brady has over him at this point, is longevity. Tom Brady lasted forever. And Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to play 20 some odd years, right? But if Patrick Mahomes plays till he's 38, let's say, and it's still this good, and they win three more Super Bowls, which is very possible, there's going to be no question about it. Because he's already the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. He's just not the most accomplished. He may never get to seven Super Bowls. Like, that's bananas, what Tom Brady was able to do and what the Patriots slash Bucks were able to do. But he has a chance to do it. We can't forget that Tom Brady had a 10-year gap between Super Bowls. When he won the first three, and then those next three in New England, there was a 10-year gap there between those. Patrick Mahomes has a chance next year to get ahead of the pace that Tom Brady set. And the scary thing is, the Chiefs could be better. I've mentioned it several times. They have not been able to truly get support on the wide receiver front since they traded Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey's getting older, right? He's probably got a year or two left. So they're going to have to find weapons for Patrick Mahomes to go with going forward. Mike Evans is a free agent. The guy is still young. I believe he just turned 30. Gets 1,000 yards like it's nothing. No matter if it's Jameis Winston, Tom Brady, or Baker Mayfield. Imagine him with Patrick Mahomes. And he's made a lot of money so far. I'm not counting the man's pockets, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's willing to take a discount to go to a winning situation. Now, he's already got a ring, so that may affect that. He may be like, I got my ring already. 
give me my money, which I can't be mad at. But if he's willing to take a discount, which may, he may not have to, but if he's willing to take a discount to go to KC, maybe they get another weapon. Imagine they get Mike Evans and another serviceable receiver to go along with the rookie Rice. That defense is young. The big question mark is can they keep Chris Jones? Everyone else is pretty much on the contract, I think, outside of Snead. What? Date them boys. <laughs> As I didn't know that beat was coming in. So that was improvised right there. But Patrick Mahomes really has a chance to stamp himself as the GOAT. He's already the greatest from a talent perspective. But he has a chance to truly separate himself where it's no, no longer a debate because of what he can do from an eye test perspective, from another maybe historical season. If he has another season like he had in those two years I mentioned earlier, that puts him in an elite company. Another Super Bowl puts him alone with Brady in Montana. It's amazing what we're witnessing. We definitely got to sit back and appreciate the greatness that we're seeing. Because this is not something you see every generation. We're really in the midst of something special. And honestly, you can't really hate on it at this point. You got to just appreciate it and call it out for what it is. He's already, if not number one, number two all the time as a quarterback. And that's just because of the accomplishments and team success of Tom Brady. But just from an individual standpoint, just playing the quarterback position, he's the best. Already. Already. And don't say, well, Tom Brady's got seven Super Bowls. That's not an individual quarterback stat. I'm talking about from individually playing the quarterback position, he's already the best. Bar none. So that's it for football talk. When we come back, we'll talk a little basketball. We'll be right back after this music break. Get them close, stop overthinking these hoes 
Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. So now let's get into a little basketball. I'm recording this on Tuesday, February 13th, this right afternoon. So literally like 12, 11 afternoon here. And I'm recording this on February 13th. So let's look at the standards real quick. In the Eastern Conference, Boston is by far number one. They're five and a half games right now ahead of Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland at number two is two games ahead of Milwaukee in a loss column. You got the Knicks right there at four. Philadelphia trying to hold on at five. They're three games ahead of Orlando. Uh, Indiana at seven. Miami at eight. Then nine, you got Chicago. Ten, you got Atlanta. So I'm not going to lie to you. Chicago and Atlanta, they're going to be in the play-in probably because I don't see Brooklyn or Toronto catching them. But the play-in for the Eastern Conference... I don't see how Indiana and Miami lose. They should be in. And with Miami, can they find themselves catching Orlando to get to that sixth spot? That's going to be a big thing. Miami last year made the huge run from play-in to the NBA Finals. So you have to respect what they can do. And they're starting to play better lately. Jimmy Butler is starting to awaken. Uh, Terry Rozier was a good addition for them. They're starting to look good. But I don't see them making the same run this year, especially if they run into Boston in their first round. I feel like this Boston team has an added toughness with Drew Holiday, with Porzingis, that they were missing last year. I know that Marcus Smart is as tough as they come. But the added toughness of Drew, along with the added effective gameplay of Drew, along with the rim protection and three-point shooting of Porzingis. Jason Tatum taking a step up. His stats haven't taken a step up, but when you watch the game, I feel like his effect on the game is different. Jalen Brown's been adding more and more as the year goes along. They should be the favorite in the East. Cleveland, Cleveland is tricky. Cleveland has been playing amazing lately. It all started when they actually had players out. And Donovan Mitchell was able to take that next step and truly say, okay, I'm number one, and the game goes through me. What's going to happen now? When Darius Garland comes back, when Evan Mobley comes back, it still runs through me, and everything trickles downhill. And that's been a winning formula for them. Can I continue in the playoffs? Now, right now, they would end up playing against an Indiana or an Orlando. They should win that first-round matchup. Orlando's a young team, very good. That's going to be a very defensively sound series if that does happen. But I see them beating Orlando in six. Indiana, that would be very interesting as well because it's a contrast in styles, right? Cleveland is a defensively sound team. Indiana wants to rub and down, score as many points as possible. So... Who wins that style matchup? Who controls the tempo would be the big thing there in that matchup. But I like what I'm seeing from Cleveland. They have to prove it in the playoffs. Milwaukee. A lot of drama in Milwaukee. Uh, Doc Rivers is not a coach. They added Pat Bev during the trade deadline, which cool. He's going to demand that his teammates play defense. He is a respected leader, even though people like to laugh 
and make fun. Patrick, Patrick Beverly, somebody who other players respect because of his effort that he brings every each and every night. And because of that, it holds other players accountable. And I think that Milwaukee will benefit from that. I can see Doc Rivers getting in the lab during the All-Star break and truly trying to come up with a defensive scheme that matches this team for them to play better. But it's still going to be a force come playoff time, for sure, because you have Giannis, who's a crazy man. Dame, who we all know what he can do in the playoffs. Chris Middleton, we've seen it from him. So even though they've been struggling a little bit lately, I can see them finding their groove and still being a threat in the Eastern Conference. The Knicks, the Knicks are really good. They made a great move during the trade deadline, pick up Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovich. Love that move. OG Ananobi earlier this year was a big pickup. It changed the whole outlook of their team when they picked up OG Ananobi. So I think that the Knicks are truly a title contender. Truly. Now, come playoff time, it's going to be too much on Jalen Brunson's shoulders. Is Julius Randle going to have those moments where he doesn't show up? That's the big thing, right? So we'll have to wait and see on that. Philadelphia, mentioned earlier, they're just waiting for Embiid to come back. Hopefully he's back healthy. And another thing with people like losing their minds about him not winning MVP. In a normal year before they had the 65-game minimum, he wasn't going to win anyway because he's not going to play enough games to where voters are going to be like, okay, I can vote for him. Most MVP winners have played 60-plus games. So let's stop it. I like Orlando a lot, but I think they are going to be a team that loses in the first round, but they'll give whoever they play a tough time. Right now, the 3-6 matchup would be Milwaukee-Orlando, which would be very, very interesting. Have, uh, have Milwaukee winning, but Orlando with their defense and just their toughness. The fact that it's like players like Jalen Suggs are going to be just annoying the entire playoff series because that's what they do. They're going to play defense. They're going to be tough. They're going to be rugged. And I can see them giving the team a tough time. Indiana defensively has to be better. Uh, Pascal Siakam has added to that in some, somewhat. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton has to get completely healthy, but definitely like what they're doing. And I already talked about Miami. No need to talk about Chicago and Atlanta, to be for real. Western Conference. You got Minnesota at 1, at 37-16. and 16. At 2, you got OKC. At 3, you got the Clippers. They're right there. They both have 17 losses. Uh, Denver is at 4 with 18 losses. 5C right now, the New Orleans Pelicans at 32 and 22. Uh, Phoenix is at 6 at 31 and 22. Sacramento is right there at 30 and 22. So from 5 to 8, that can shift each and every game. So those teams are basically playing playoff basketball right now because you don't want to fall to that 7 to 8 spot. You don't want to be in the play and in the Western Conference because sitting at the 9 spot is the Lakers, who. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you don't want to play them in a one-game win-or-go-home scenario. At a 10th spot, Golden State, Steph Curry. You don't want to deal with him in a one-game win-or-go-home scenario. You don't want to be in a play-in, period, but the fact that the 9 and 10 seed are the Lakers with LeBron and AD and Golden State with Steph Curry makes it even more important for you to avoid the play-in. So for my Pelicans, they got to keep winning. They got to keep winning to avoid it. Same thing for Phoenix. Because KD, they've been there before. They don't want to be in a play-in. Sacramento, they definitely do not want to deal with the Lakers or Golden State or Dallas, 
right? Because Dallas right there at the AC. You don't want to deal with any of those guys, Luka, LeBron, AD, or Steph in a play-in scenario. Because you know they have that ability to say, okay, we're winning this game. I'm taking over. We're not losing. Now, De'Aaron Fox is a monster, but he doesn't have that same ability on the level of those guys. Demar Sabonis is nice. He puts up great stats, but in that scenario, he's going to be the eye guy out as far as an impact player. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens from 5 to five to 8 to see who ends up in the 5 and 6 spots to avoid the play-in in the Western Conference. Uh, Minnesota, do you trust them come playoff time? Do you trust them against a Lakers, a Golden State, a Dallas? That's a very interesting 1-8 matchup. If they stay in the 1 seed, the 1 through 4 seeds are very close as well. So the, the Western Conference is really kind of segregated in like 1 through 4. Anybody can go 1 to 4 between Minnesota, OKC, the Clippers, and Denver. That can flip any day. Same thing through 5 through 8. We can flip any day. Lakers and Golden State are right there with Utah kind of nipping at their heels. So 9 through 11 can switch any day. So you have three separate groups where they're all just clawing and playing for their lives right now to avoid certain things. So the Western Conference is really, really interesting in that standpoint. Some of the potential playoff matchups are also very interesting. I mentioned Minnesota-Dallas. That could be crazy. Minnesota-Lakers, crazy. Minnesota-Golden State, crazy. I, Minnesota just has to prove it come playoff time, but... Throughout the regular season, they should be the favorite going into any of those matchups. But Luka, he can win you a seven-game series by going crazy for four games. Same thing with Steph, same thing with LeBron and AD. OKC versus a Phoenix or a Sacramento. If they take on Sacramento, you think OKC can win that series because defensively, Sacramento just doesn't have enough to stop them. If they go against a Phoenix, ooh, <laughs> they, they go against who else could be a seventh seed there? It could be New Orleans. It could be like the Western Conference come playoff times is going to be crazy. The Clippers. Clippers and Phoenix right now would be the series if the season ended today. Kawhi versus KD. Right now we had that last year, but Kawhi got hurt. And they didn't have James Harden. So you got James Harden, Devin Booker, Kawhi, Kevin Durant. Paul George, Bradley Bill, like the star power in that series is just bananas. Like that, I'm really kind of rooting for that series to happen. Denver versus New Orleans, you have to favor Denver in that one, even as a Pelicans fan, I have to be honest about that because of they're just proven in the playoffs. But New Orleans definitely give them a hard time because they don't have an inside presence defensively. And the Pelicans thrive at going inside because of Zion because of Jonas Valachunas. This will, uh, that series will be crazy as well. I'll have to go Denver in six, but that's just potentially what can happen. But second half of the season, or I guess the post-All-Star break, it's every game's important. Even the game's coming up. Like, New Orleans plays against Washington on Wednesday. They should win, but you can't take those games for granted. Like, anytime you're playing against a team that is below you, you gotta go ahead and take care of business and stack up those wins. Because everyone is important. Like in the Western Conference tonight. Ooh, OKC Orlando. That's a good game. So I'll probably watch that game. Maybe do a little video afterwards. Um, oh, no. I won't be able to do that. But it's going to be interesting to see 
what happens there. But we got some good games tonight too. Sacramento and Phoenix is a big game in the standings. Yeah, man, this is the NBA, man. Those old commercials. He, like, I just love this game, man. Love it. So we're going to take our last break. When I come back, we're going to talk some boxing. Be right back. Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. So now let's talk a little boxing. So last week on Thursday, we had a title fight at the 140-pound division where Teofimo Lopez was defending his 140-pound belt against Jermaine Ortiz, right? Teofimo Lopez is a WBO champion at 140 pounds, going against Jermaine Ortiz. Jermaine Ortiz, good boxer who really made a name for himself because he went against 
Vasily Lomachenko and gave Lomachenko a really good fight where Loma had to pull it out at the end by winning the last two rounds. Now, in this fight, Jermaine Ortiz took a different approach. Against Lomachenko, he took the fight to him. In this fight, he was trying to have Lopez be the one to bring the fight. But in the attempt to have Teofimo Lopez bring the fight to him, he made an extremely boring fight. Now, if this is your first time listening to me, I'm a huge boxing fan. I have served as a judge for USA Boxing, so I'm not your casual boxing fan, right? I love boxing. It doesn't have to be this all-out, drag-out war for me to enjoy. It doesn't have to be two guys in the middle of the ring like Rock'em Sock'em Robots for me to enjoy it, right? But you have to engage. Jermaine Ortiz never engaged in this fight. Just didn't. And there was nothing to truly separate him from Teofimo Lopez. You can't go into a fight with the intention of the judges giving you the belt. You have to try to take the belt. There was no attempt of him to try to take that belt away from Teofimo Lopez. He went in there hoping that he could fool the judges into giving him the belt. This is not going to work. So when you go back and you look at the boxing stats or the compu box stats for that fight, each round, Lopez and Ortiz both landed a very similar amount of punches. So the edge is going to go to the champion unless some of those punches are just bigger from the challenger. But they weren't. Ortiz wasn't landing big shots. He was landing jabs. There was one good overhand left that I remember. But not much outside of that. He just ran around the ring. And I don't like to use the word run because people like to use the excuse of Floyd and say Floyd ran. But no, what Ortiz did was run. Ortiz just spun around the ring. He made it very evident that Teofimo Lopez does not know how to cut off the ring. But you can't win a championship that way. Now, the scorecards had Teofimo winning 115-113, 115-113, and 117-111. The 117-111 is the one that caught people off guard, right? Because it was a close fight that was hard to score. But that scorecard doesn't even bother me because there were so many rounds that were close that could have went either way because neither fighter established anything. So if you're a judge and you're, say, let's say your tiebreaker in a round like that is aggression, you're going to give it to Tejima Lopez because he was the more aggressive fighter. If your tiebreaker is effective punching, there was nothing there to really separate either guy. So the champion is going to have the edge when it's a tie, right? The same thing when in baseball, the tie goes to the runner or in football, the tie goes to the offensive player when they both have the ball. Same thing in boxing, the tie goes to the champion. So Jermaine Ortiz didn't make it enough to where he was like, okay, I took this round. Just to give you some examples, first round, total punches landed. Teofimo went four of 32. Ortiz, four of 29. So if you're watching two guys land four punches each and one guy's being the aggressor, 
the aggressor is going to win the round. The next round, Lopez was 4 of 23, Ortiz was 5 of 37. So it depends on how those punches were, right? He threw 19 jabs. So he threw more punches technically, but was he being aggressive or was he just pawing his jab out there? In third round, Lopez went 5 of 21, Ortiz 6 of 38. 14 jabs and he missed all 14. So he's Ortiz isn't giving you anything to say, let me give you these rounds. Even if, you, like, by the numbers or by the eye test, nothing's saying he deserves these rounds. Round four. Ortiz did a little separation. He landed eight punches compared to Teofimo's five. Fifth round, they both landed three punches each. So if you're watching guys land three punches in a round, the guy who's being more aggressive, the guy who's going forward, most likely is going to get that round. Sixth round, they both land six punches each. Seventh round, Lopez landed 11. Ortiz only landed eight. Eighth round, Lopez six. Ortiz five. Ninth round, Ortiz outlanded Lopez 5-3. to three. Like, you're hearing these numbers. If you didn't watch the fight, just hearing these numbers, it's like, yo, this was a boring fight. Like, no one was hitting each other. They both ended with less than 22% of their punches landed. Teofimo landed 21%, Ortiz landed 19%. Ortiz finished the fight with 80 punches landed, Lopez with 78 you're not going to give, or you shouldn't, you shouldn't give the challenger the belt. And I use the word give very specifically, on purpose. You can't give him the belt based on that. You can't. Like, that was horrible. You can't give somebody the belt fighting like that, or not fighting like that. You have to take the belt from the champion. So I know a lot of people were upset and said that Ortiz should have won. Ortiz would have won that fight if it was an amateur fight. Amateur fight, you land the most punches, most likely you win, right? Unless it's just the effect of, of the punch, the effectiveness of the punches is just a totally different thing. But from a boxing standpoint, a professional, professional, excuse me, boxing standpoint, Ortiz didn't do enough. He didn't. And I saw that he said he wants a rematch. You're not going to get a rematch because the fight was too boring. If you would have went in there and lost a close fight and it was an exciting fight, okay, people would have clamored for that rematch. But you're not going to get a rematch. People aren't going to say he deserves a rematch. Some people will. The people who don't like Teofimo Lopez. And Teofimo does a lot of things that can make him unlikable. Right? He just be talking about nonsense sometimes. I get it. But if you're looking at it from an objective standpoint, he doesn't deserve a rematch because he didn't bring it. You have to bring it. Even if your strategy is to try to make Lopez frustrated, which he did, you got to take advantage of that frustration. You have to counter. You have to have times where you let your hands go. You have to throw combinations. You can't just paw your jab out there and say you're being aggressive. You're not. And I just hate that that fight was a big national TV fight because that's the type of fight that makes people say, oh, this is why boxing is dead, quote-unquote. When it's not, it's very much alive. 
So the question now is, what's next for Tafima Lopez? Now, the IBF champion is Sabrell Matias. That would be a very exciting fight. Tafima wants somebody who's going to come forward and fight him. Matias is that dude. Matias is going to come forward. He ain't going to back down. Can Lopez withstand the constant barrage of punches that Matias is going to throw? That's the question. Another fight that could be out there is the winner of Raleigh Romero and is that Cruz. They're fighting on March 30th on the undercard of Keith Thurman uh, versus Tim Zoo. I think that is that Cruz is going to win that fight. His pressure and just constant punching is probably going to have Raleigh Romero just all kind of thrown off. So I picture him winning that fight. And is that Cruz against Tiffany Lopez isn't like a big money fight, but it's one that if he's a champion, especially if he is very impressive against Romero, could do some things. The winner of Devin Haney versus Ryan Garcia. That's a truly big money fight. Tafima Lopez takes on the winner of that fight, which I expect to be Haney. That could be really big. Uh, another fight that's out there is Arnold Barbosa Jr. They're both under top rank, so that's one that should be easy to make. They can make that fight happen. And Barbosa is somebody who will throw punches, who will be aggressive, who will make it a good fight. Uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez, another guy who can make it aggressive, make it a good fight. Uh, Richardson Hitchens. There's a lot of talent at 140. A lot of talent at 140 for him to go against. Jack Catterall is another guy. Jack Catterall is very slick, though. He's not going to run, but he's very slick defensively. That could be tough for Teofimo. Uh Teofimo Lopez wants to take on Terrence Crawford. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, my dog. So you got to choose somebody from 140. Maybe even Regis Progray. If you think you could be more impressive against Progray than Devin Haney was, that could put pressure on Haney. If you go out there and you knock out Regis Progray, could. But Regis Progray and Teofimo Lopez would be a very interesting fight, be entertaining, because neither guy wants to go backwards. So that would be very interesting. Or neither guy, Teofimo Lopez actually fights better going backwards. Neither guy is going to move around the ring a lot. I should say that. So there's a lot of options for Teofimo Lopez going forward, which are there, I like. But we'll just have to wait and see. And I was just going through some of the boxing rankings. And 140 probably has the most talent just up and down, 140. So there's a lot of options there for Teofimo. But Teofimo definitely has to work on cutting off the ring, not getting frustrated. Once he does cut off the ring, knowing his distance, Extremely talented dude, right? Athletic ability, the explosiveness, the power. The ability to counter when somebody else is coming forward or willing to come forward. He has all that. But he has to learn how to fight as a guy coming forward against somebody who isn't willing to engage. You have to learn how to do that. Jermaine Ortiz, hopefully he gets another fight soon where he can show what he can truly do with a game plan to be aggressive. And maybe he can claw his way back into the title picture after that. But you're not going to get immediate rematch. You don't deserve it. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode of The Real Deal with Damian Adams. I will be coming to you more consistently. At least once a week, if not twice. So be ready for that. Make sure you follow me on all social media platforms at The Real Deal, WDA. I'm dropping content on social media pretty much every day. So go ahead and check it out. Dope stuff. Until next time. Go real or go home.